And so if you have your Bibles, and you and I hope that you do, that's what Pastor David Platt always says. Um, but if you have your Bibles, take them out and turn with me to John, the Gospel of John, and we are in the last chapter, the 21st chapter. And once you find that, if you're able, would you stand with us for the reading of God's Word and just for us a way to show honor to, the, to His Word? And I'll wait while you grab that, while you grab your Bibles. Some of you got to get your phones out. That is what it is. We'll just leave that alone. John chapter 21. And um, we're actually going to start in verse number 18. Jesus is speaking to Simon Peter and Jesus says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, Simon Peter, that when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wherever you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper. And he said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is it that, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die, yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Verse number 24, this is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Father, we give thanks to you for your word. In your name we pray, amen. You could be seated. Here's the main point of this section so that you don't miss it. The main point is this, that no matter what, and no matter who does what or who stays, who doesn't, you follow Jesus. That's the main point. The main point is that command for us to follow Jesus. Now, if you haven't been tracking along for the last week, uh, this is kind of where John chapter 21, uh, or John ends in the 21st chapter. It is Jesus has already been resurrected from the dead. He's already appeared a couple times to his disciples. He's told his disciples to go to Galilee, outside of Jerusalem, to wait on a mountaintop for him there. While they're waiting, uh, Peter gets the bright idea to go fishing. And so as we said, when Peter says, I'm going fishing, Peter's not talking about fishing like you and I might talk about fishing. He's not talking about something that we may do for leisure, but rather Peter's saying like, hey, either we need to eat or maybe Peter's just saying, hey, I'm going back to work. I'm going back to my old job. Peter was a fisherman by trade and now that's what he does. And so Peter goes fishing. They fish all night and they catch nothing Last Friday, I fished all day and I caught nothing. A gentleman took me fishing, so I know the feeling. They fished all night, they've caught nothing. 
A man appears on the seashore. He shouts out to the boat and tells them, put down your nets on the other side of the boat. Now you gotta think like they've been fishing all night. Had they not thought about that? Well, okay, that's a great idea. We've been fishing on the right side of the boat. That's a great idea. We'll fish on the left side of the boat. Whenever I wasn't catching anything, I was fishing from the front, the back, the sides, everywhere and anywhere we could think of to fish. And yet they do in obedience, they cast onto the other side of the net. They cast their nets onto the other side of the boat and they catch 153 fish in one, one cast of the net. And they haul the fish in as they do. It's John, the writer of this gospel who looks and says, it's Jesus at the sound of that, Peter jumps into the water, swims ashore. The rest of the disciples have now joined Jesus on the shore. Jesus has made breakfast by a charcoal fire. We talked about that last week. Jesus has got broiled fish there for them. And Jesus is about, what's it about? Well, here's what it is, all of that is about. It is about restoration. That's the theme of John chapter one. It's restoration, namely Jesus is restoring Simon Peter back into fellowship with Jesus and he's restoring him back into ministry. Simon Peter has betrayed Jesus three times and now Jesus is restoring him into fellowship and restoring him back into the ministry. Jesus does this by asking Peter one question he asks three times with one response the same way. Peter, do you love me? And then he responds with, then feed or care for my sheep or my lambs. And then Jesus shares a prophetic word about Peter's life. And that's where we pick up the sermon today in verse number 18. This is Jesus prophesying the future of Peter's life. And he says it like this, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. And when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where, you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was going to glorify God. And so he speaks about Peter's past whenever you were young and then he points to his future. And Jesus tells Peter that you will stretch out or they will actually, they will stretch out your hands and what Jesus meant by that is that is a metaphor. It would have actually been common language for crucifixion. He's telling Peter that, Peter, when you were old, another's gonna dress you. They're gonna take you. They're gonna carry you where you do not want to go. And they are going to stretch out your arms and they will crucify you. Now it's found in church history, not in the Bible. I remember my grandfather gave me one of my first Bibles I ever had. I was newly saved and I'd heard the story about Peter's life and I, I began to read it. I wanted to find it. So I read through all of the book of Acts. I read through the end of the gospels. I read through first Peter and second Peter and I couldn't find the story of Peter's death. And so I went to my grandfather and said, hey, Paul, where does it talk about Peter being crucified upside down? And he informed me it's not in the Bible, it's in church history. But in church history, it says that Peter will be arrested and that Peter will be crucified. And in fact, Peter will say that I'm unworthy to be crucified like my Lord and Savior Jesus. So crucify me upside down. And so Peter does that. And here what Jesus is doing is Jesus is prophesying that. Now, I don't know about you, but man, the thought of that and that hanging over your head would be quite heavy. I mean, I'm not saying Jesus made a mistake, but I'm just saying like, with every time Peter would be arrested, you gotta know in the back of his mind, he's thinking, well, is this the time it's gonna happen? Is this when they're gonna stretch out my arms or not? But nevertheless, Peter's faithful until the end. After Jesus gives that word of prophecy, 
he reinstates Peter with one command. It's the same command that Jesus had spoken to Peter three years prior. It's the same command on the same seashore that he said to Peter when he first met Simon Peter. And he said this to Peter, Peter, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And here he says it to Peter again, follow me. Now, what does it mean to follow Jesus? What did Jesus mean by that? Because it's applicable to, to us as well. What I said last week, and I will say it again, that this is not a calling into vocational ministry. Certainly this isn't a calling into, uh, into becoming the Pope, but neither is this a calling into vocational ministry. That Peter's not the picture of every pastor that is to come. What Peter is a picture of is every disciple that is to come. This isn't a calling into vocational ministry. This is a calling into discipleship. And that's what, to which every one of us has been called. That every one of us who are believers, and if you are a believer in Christ and you have been saved, then you are a disciple. A disciple is not someone that's, the, that's a subset or a subgroup of, of believers, but every member of the church, every saved individual is called to be a disciple. And as a disciple, what are you doing? Well, you're simply doing this. You're following Jesus. And that's what Jesus says. Peter, follow me. Two simple words, one command, but what does it mean to follow Jesus? What's the very summation of the Christian life? What does it mean to be a Christian? Well, it means this to be a Christian, that you're following Jesus. It means this, it means to believe in and to trust in Jesus, the person and the work of Jesus to the degree that you obediently pursue Jesus. So you believe in him, but it doesn't just stop with a belief in him, you're trusting in him and it is to the degree that you pursue him. You pursue a relationship with him. You pursue fellowship with him. You pursue knowing him. That's what differentiates Christianity from every other dead religion and any other thing is a dead religion apart from Christianity. What separates us is that we are in relationship, right relationship with the sovereign God of, of the world, with the creator. That that's what it means to, to, through our faith in Christ, our relationship with God has been reconciled. And we now can know God and trust in God and be filled by God, by, be filled uh, with God. It's to the degree that you are pursuing Jesus, a relationship with Jesus, knowing him. You also are pursuing the life that Jesus gives, the life that Jesus promises. What is that life? Well, that life can be summed up in one word and it's the word freedom. That's where we're going next. Starting next week, we're going to talk about freedom that we have in Christ from Galatians 5. But it's the, it would be the, the summation of the Christian life is following Jesus and experiencing the freedom that Jesus gives to us, being filled by his spirit and being set free, set free from the flesh and set free from religion and set free from the guilt associated with our sin. It's being set free from all those things and we're pursuing the life that Jesus gives, the freedom that Jesus gives. We're pursuing the mission that Jesus is accomplishing. What is that mission? What's the mission that he said, called Peter to? It's the mission of being a fishers of men. It's the mission of feeding the sheep. As I said, discipleship and making disciples isn't just something for a subset of Christians, but it's for every one of us. Every one of us has been called to be fishers of men. Every one of us has been called to, 
to, to feed Jesus' sheep, to care for Jesus' lambs. It is to do ministry. It is to be a disciple making disciples. This is the mission that Jesus has called every believer to. It's the purpose in which you have been made. Why are you here? I mean, that's a great question to ask. Well, let me tell you what the Bible says. Here's why you exist. Here's why there's breath in your, your, your lungs. Here is why you are here on this earth. It is to know God and to make him known, period, the end. You are here to know God and to make him known. And that's what he's commanding Peter to do. Peter, follow me. Now notice with me in the text that what Jesus says to Peter, Peter takes it. I think what Jesus probably meant to say, what Jesus meant was probably figurative, follow me. But Peter takes it literally. And Peter begins to follow Jesus. Evidently, Jesus turns and begins to walk away. And look in verse number 20. Peter turned and he saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, John, that's the writer, following them. The one who had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, John says, then he says to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Now we're unsure of Peter's motive here. Possibly Peter's motive is a motive of compassion and empathy. I mean, after all, Jesus has just told Peter, Peter, you're going to be crucified. Peter, you're going to follow me and then they're going to kill you. And then Peter looks at, Peter begins to follow Jesus. And then all of a sudden he looks behind him and there's John following as well. And then Jesus, excuse me, what about this guy back here too? And so maybe he's just concerned, like, is he going to make it? Is he going to survive? But I don't think that's what's happening here. I think what's actually happening here isn't Peter's concern for his friend. And, I and I'm taking that off of, now I'm not building a doctrine here, but I'm judging this by Jesus's response. I don't think it's empathy, but I think what it is is unhealthy comparison. I think what Peter is developing here is developing the what about them syndrome that hinders us from following Jesus. It's a, it's a, it's a sideways glance. I'm following after you, Jesus, but, but what about John? What's, what's gonna be the end of his life? What, what's a, what, what should we think about John's life? Uh, what about John? What's he supposed to do? It's a sideways glance. A couple of years ago, uh, Luann and I and our, and our kids, we'd been on vacation. I think it possibly could have been whenever we were on sabbatical and we were coming back from Florida and we were driving, we were in the car, but honestly, like everything was going really well in the car. I mean, Luann was asleep. The kids was asleep. I was in the zone. How many of you men, you understand what I'm talking about? I was in the zone. You know, I kind of had a partner driving with me. It was, we were tag teaming it, but driving the same speed, but not in a competitive way. He would go a little bit ahead and then I would give him the what's up nod and go a little bit ahead. And we're trucking along probably somewhere through Georgia. We come up on and there's starting to be signs saying there's road construction ahead, right? So we're watching this. And as we get closer, what it's saying is, is that the lanes are gonna divide. They're doing road construction in the middle and you had to pick either to go to the right or go to the left. Well, I'm left-handed. And so I chose to go to the left. So I go to the left and we're rolling on and everything's good and we're going through the construction. And then all of a sudden brake lights, chain of brake lights and a slow down. What becomes a slow down becomes a stop. And now we're stopped in traffic and I'm sitting there. And in the beginning, I'm doing pretty good. But the longer I sat there, the more I noticed the right-hand side, the right lane. I could see them over there. 
and they're not getting stopped, right? Injustice is being done to me and they're just rolling on. They're just going on, going on, going on. And I'm sitting there and the longer I sit there, the madder I get. The longer I sit there, it's not even a matter of, of impatience here. It's injustice is what's happening here. And the matter, and the matter. Now, like I said, everything's wonderful. Just, just come back off a wonderful vacation. All of my kids are in the car. They're all happy. Everything's great. My wife is beside me. She's asleep. She's beautiful. She's wonderful. Everything's great, but that traffic over there is moving and we're stopped. And then Luann wakes up. What's going on? I said, well, we're stopped in traffic. I said, you know, back there, we had to choose right to the left. I took the left. And she looks up, well, you should have went to the right. <laughs> now, I could have let it go. Or I could have <clears throat> defended myself and ruined the vacation. And I chose the latter. Uh, to be honest, I chose the latter. And let me just say there's... Uh, there is no marital fight like post-vacation stuck in a traffic car marital fight. Can I get amen? And so that's the, that's the direction that we were going in. Listen, my anger wasn't in the fact that I was stopped. My anger was in the fact that the sideways glance, it was the, the jealousy, it was the unhealthy comparison of, uh, it, wasn't even, it wasn't even rooted in regret. It was rooted in, them over there, what are they doing? They're going, they're moving, and, and I'm stuck here. And if we're honest, this is the tendency in us as believers, as followers of Christ, that we can have an unhealthy preoccupation with comparison, unhealthy comparison. And listen to me, unhealthy comparison will manifest itself in our hearts in at least a couple of ways. Either it will produce jealousy or feelings of inadequacy, or if we're the one moving, it will produce pride in us. We can often ask the question of why am I not as gifted as they are gifted? Why am I not given the opportunities that they have been given? Why can't I be as organized as they are? Why can't my kids behave like their kids? Why can't my spouse be as supportive as their spouse is? Why can't my spouse serve in the church like their spouse serves in the church? Why can't I, it is the Lord, but what about them syndrome. And it is an unhealthy comparison. As I said, this, we will touch on this even in the next sermon series. I'm, my mind is already there to some degree. But jealousy and envy and rivalry, that all of those are works of our sinful flesh, they uproot the peace and the joy that we experience. They're destructive in the body of Christ, his church. They thwart the mission of Christ. They undermine the goodness and the sovereignty of God. And they call into question the wisdom of God. And that's a lot for such what seems like such a benign emotion as jealousy, the sideways glance, the turnaround look, but what about them syndrome? That Jesus is the head over his church. This is Jesus's church. It has a name of the Point Community Church, but it is not my church, certainly. It isn't the church. This church doesn't belong to the elders of this church. It doesn't belong to the members of this church. 
this church, as well as every church that is proclaiming the name of Christ and preaching the gospel and has orthodox belief according to the Bible, every one of those churches, they belong to Jesus. They are Jesus's church. And he has poured out his spirit upon the church and his spirit uniquely gifts the church to carry out the mission for him and the mission of the church. That it is Jesus's church. And he has uniquely gifted you in the way that he has gifted you for you to, to, to make your unique contribution in his church. In fact, that's what the apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Let me just read this for you. I won't read all of it, but let me read a portion of it for you. He says already in um, verse number 14, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot shall say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would, make, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would, be, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. That we are uniquely gifted by Christ for Christ's glory. And that's what we need to focus on. What we need to focus on is we need to focus on us individually and collectively following Jesus together. That we are to have a single focus upon Jesus. And whenever I was a kid, um, every September in the little town that I grew up in Walton, they had old fashioned day and we would watch, we'd go down to downtown and we'd stand on the side and we would watch the old fashioned day parade come through. And there were these huge workhorses they would bring through and they had those blinders on the side, you know, the, on the, literally like blinders on the side. And for you and I, that's what we need. We don't need to be blinded to the needs of others. That's not what I'm saying at all. But what I'm talking about is that unhealthy glance to the side that what he's telling Peter, Peter, in fact, look at how Jesus responds. Verse number 22. As I said, this is why I think that it's unhealthy what Peter's saying here, because look at verse number 22. Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, I love this right here. What is that to you? There ain't no Jesus like snarky Jesus, is there? Huh? Don't you love it? I mean, I know it, it helps justify my own snarkiness right here. I, and now I'm gonna have a new line when I'm snarky to my wife. Hey, I'm be, just being like Jesus. But here Jesus is just getting snarky with Peter. Peter, what's it to you? Why should you, one, why should you care? Number two is, again, it undermines the wisdom and sovereignty of God when we say, hey, what about them? How come I'm not getting whatever it is we feel entitled to? Whatever we're looking at, wherever the glance is that we're looking toward, it undermines the wisdom and sovereignty of Christ. Christ is saying, what's it to you? I do all things well, trust me. That's basically what Jesus says. What is it to you? And then second, the command again, you follow me me. Follow me. 
thought even this week of the song that we used to sing. I grew up singing it. It's the song of, I have decided to follow Jesus. It's the lyrics of, though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back, no turning back. Many will turn back. Many will fall, fall away. We must be so singularly focused upon following Christ that we can say, though none go with me. I pray that we never have to. I pray that you never have to walk alone following after Jesus. I pray that there's always people there to spur you on towards love and good works. But if you must, then we must, and we will go on following after Jesus. That is his command. Pursue Christ, follow after Christ, follow closely after Christ. And then in verse number 23, it says, so the following, so the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. That's talking about John. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he, that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is it to you? These words that Jesus spoke, they sparked a rumor and that rumor that John would not die, but it's not what, it's not what Jesus had promised. And John's writing here and John just said, hey, I just, wanna, I just wanna make this clear. I don't know if I'm gonna die. I don't know, maybe Christ is gonna come back. Maybe he's not, I don't know that. And John would die before Jesus returned. John will die on the island of Patmos, but nevertheless, as he's saying, that's not what Jesus has promised. Look at verse number 24. This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that, it, that the world itself could not contain the books that could be written. As we close out this sermon series, we have preached 93, today is the 93rd sermon, to cover what was written in John. Each and every sermon preached each and every small group discussion that has occurred in your PCG, all of them have had the same goal in mind. It's the same reason why John wrote his gospel, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's why John wrote it. That's why we preached it. That's why we discussed it. That's why we've shared it. It is so you may believe. You may believe that Jesus is the Christ. He is the son of God. And that by believing you may have life in his name. John began his gospel account with a prologue. All the other gospel writers, the other three, they began with the birth of Christ, but John began with the birth of creation. He began as Genesis 1 begins in the beginning. He began in that way to show the humanity and the divinity and the eternality of Jesus. He wrote and started that and he wrote the prologue. Why did he write it? So that you and I may believe and have life in Jesus's name. Throughout the first 13 chapters of John, John called seven witnesses to the stand. The witnesses were John the Baptist and Nicodemus and a woman in Samaria and an invalid at the pool of Bethesda who Jesus makes whole, a woman who was caught in an adulterous act, a man who was born blind that was healed by the touch of Jesus, and lastly, Lazarus to whom he raises from the dead. All of their testimonies are the same testimony. 
and they were recorded and they were written with one purpose in mind that you and I may believe and that we may have life in his name. In those thir- first, um, in the first 15 chapters, John covers seven miracles and seven I am statements. The miracles that Jesus performed in the gospel of John, they were to validate the I am statements. They weren't just random miracles, but they were miracles with a purpose. They were to validate and to, and to better illustrate the I am statement that Jesus made. The I am statements are not just to show that, that God has bad grammar, but they are, in fact, they are claims to his deity and they would teach about the nature of salvation that Jesus brings. The seven are these, that Jesus is the bread of life, that Jesus is the light, the light of the world, that Jesus is the door. He is the good shepherd. He is the resurrection. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and he is the true vine. All of them are to say that he is the Christ, that he is the son of God, so that you and I might believe and we may have life in his name. John chapter 13 starts the upper room discourse. It begins with Jesus washing his disciples' feet. It spans over four chapters and it ends with Jesus praying in the garden of Gethsemane. During that prayer, Jesus is betrayed. Jesus is arrested. He is later to be tried, beaten, sentenced to death, and then crucified. On the cross on Golgotha, Jesus, the son of God, will die for our sins under the just wrath of the father. He would then be placed in a borrowed tomb that will be sealed shut. But on the third day, Jesus will rise from the dead. He will be resurrected from the dead. He will appear to Mary and then to the rest of the disciples on three different occasions. He will tell Thomas to doubt no more as he touched his wounds. And then he will restore Peter into fellowship and into ministry. And Jesus does all of this that you and I, that we may believe and by believing that you and I may have life in his name. Let us thank Jesus for his word. Let's pray. Jesus, we believe that you have been manifested in the flesh. You have been vindicated, authenticated, and empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. The proof has been in your preaching and in the miracles that you performed and in your resurrection. You have been seen by angels, You are even now being proclaimed among the nations. That there are some who have already proclaimed your name today and there will be others who will proclaim it today as well as the rest of the week. You are being proclaimed all over this globe as as the son of God and as the savior of the world. You have been taken up into glory where you reign and you rule and you intercede for your church even today. And Jesus, you are coming back again. You're coming to judge the living and the dead. And may we be found in you when you return. May we be found full of faith and full of conviction. May we be found working in your strength to accomplish your mission, making much of you. What is the Point Community Church? The point is Jesus. May we exalt you and lift you up, Jesus. Jesus, may we lift you on high as you were lifted up on high on the cross. May we make much of you and may you by your power, will you draw all men unto you. We're thankful. We're thankful, Jesus, that we have life in your name. All glory be unto you.
In your name we pray, amen.